We're going to read together from God's Word. So if you want to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, and uh, we'll read the first 13 verses of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. As is the, uh, the pattern with uh, many of the New Testament letters, towards the end of the letter... The writer moves into practical exhortation. So he moves from the more doctrinal, theological section of the letter through to a more practical section, really demonstrating how what he has said before leads to a new life, a different life, as we continue to serve and follow the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but 
rather healed. Amen. And uh, we give thanks to God for his word, praying as we always do that he would bless it to us. Well, let's bow for a word of prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing on his word to us. Father, we thank you this evening that you are a speaking God. That, Father, by your own word, by what you have caused to be written, you continue by your spirit to speak. You speak into our hearts and into our lives. And, Lord, you always have something to say to us, something that will be of relevance and help, something to encourage us and challenge us. Something that we need to hear. So Lord, we pray tonight that you'd help us to listen. Lord, help us to hear. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Do your work within us, we pray. For the glory and honor of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, during the, uh, the Wednesday evenings from about the middle of April through to about the end of May, um, a group of us from the church there in Harryville went uh, out around our district. And uh, we tried to do this. We, we used to do this very regularly before uh, COVID and lockdown uh, to try to visit every home in our district in Harryville, to knock every single door and to offer people a copy of Mark's gospel. With that, we gave them a wee flyer just explaining why we were doing what we were doing and uh, simply encouraging people to read God's word in the knowledge that it is through the reading of God's word that people come to know the Lord for themselves. We have about 1,600 homes in Harryville, about 1,600 different homes. And, you know, many of the doors of those 1,600 homes opened to us. We had the opportunity to speak to many, many uh, people. One evening, a door opened to me. Uh, it was a, a home that I knew, and I was uh, welcomed in to the home. Before I had really sat down, the conversation started, and uh, very, very quickly, it turned to spiritual things. The gentleman in whose home I was sitting told me that uh, he wasn't religious. That wasn't news to me. I knew that already. But anyway, he told me he wasn't religious. But he assured me if other people got something out of religion, then that was fine. That was good. That was okay for them. What was his uh, difficulty with belief in God? Well, amongst the first few things he said were these. He said, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering in the world? How can a God of love exist and allow people to experience horrible and tragic things? Lots of people find that kind of argument compelling. They feel that the, the brute fact of human suffering, maybe their own personal suffering or the suffering of the, of the world at large, the brute fact of human suffering makes utterly implausible belief in a God who is both loving 
and all-powerful. We kind of reason like this. If God is loving, then surely he would end all human suffering. He doesn't end all human suffering, and that must be because he can't. So God might be loving, but he can't be all-powerful. Or on the other hand, they may be reason like this. If God is all-powerful, surely he could end all human suffering. He doesn't end all human suffering, and that must be because he doesn't want to. So God may be all-powerful, but he can't be loving. And so you see, if God does exist, he can't be both loving and all-powerful. And if that is true, well, who would want to worship such a God? But you know, it's not just people who are irreligious who struggle with those kinds of questions. I'm sure at one time or another, you yourself have struggled with those kinds of questions. I'm sure that at times, maybe questions like these have crossed your mind. Why do bad things happen to Christians? Why is there so much suffering in the lives of Christians? How can a God of love exist and allow Christians to experience horrible and tragic things? And you know, in a sense, in a sense, that is the kind of question that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing in the section of this letter that we're looking at this evening. So if you've got your Bible there, Open it again with me at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sure you've heard of the school of hard knocks. Sometimes we refer to life as the school of hard knocks. And whenever we do that, what we're really saying is we're really saying life throws really hard and difficult things at us. And when it does, we learn certain lessons through those experiences. And you know, there is most certainly a sense in which life is a school of hard knocks for every single Christian. Life is a school of hard knocks for every single Christian. So as we think about the difficult things that Christians experience, I want to start by saying this. Hard knocks have a purpose. Hard knocks have a purpose you know, this is one of the most helpful things. Knowing this is one of the most helpful things that we can grasp. Whenever difficult things come into our lives, they do not come randomly. They do not come to us without any meaning or purpose. Every pain we go through, if we're a Christian, every pain we go through, every hurt we experience is for a reason. It's a, a well-documented psychological fact that human beings cope better with pain when they perceive that pain to have a purpose. If someone is in hospital, they're recovering from surgery and they're experiencing pain, they're likely to endure that pain positively because they will interpret that pain as healing pain. But if someone else is in hospital 
and they are experiencing perhaps a very similar level of pain. But that pain is due to an unknown cause. They will be less likely to endure that pain positively. And if the pain continues, the chances are they will get down, discouraged, because they will interpret that pain as pointless pain. As human beings, we can endure high levels of pain if we know, if we know that the pain has a purpose. Every Christian can be sure that their hard knocks have a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, look at the beginning of verse 7. The writer says this. He says, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. Now, that word discipline, it's used 10 times in these verses. And the original word there has a range of possible meanings. That word is probably best translated as training. Training. I think that it is particularly helpful for us to think of difficult experiences as training. In this life, if you're a Christian, the Lord is training you. He is training you. Now, what does that really mean? Well, you think for a moment about a sports team. Think of a sports team. Every sports team needs to train before the season begins. The coach, well, he'll get the team out onto the training field. And he'll begin to make them run and run and run. He'll guide them through an increasingly difficult regime of drills and exercises. As their first match of the season approaches... Everything will speed up. They'll be expected to run further, faster. As they overcome each challenge, a new challenge will be set. A more difficult challenge. Why does the coach do all that? Does he do it because he doesn't like them? Does he do it because he wants to punish them? It may feel like that if you're on the team. But he does all of this. So that the members of the team will grow in strength. He does all of this to build their stamina. He does all of this so that when that first game of the season comes, they are in the right condition to compete. You see, for the Christian, life is a little bit like a training field. The Lord brings a succession of difficult experiences into our lives so that as we deal with those things, as we live through those things, as we trust him through those things, our spiritual condition is improved. Have a look at the second part of verse 10 and then how the writer goes on into verse 11. He says, God disciplines us, God trains us for our good. So that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Whenever someone goes through something difficult, have you ever found yourself saying to them, you have little need of that? Have you ever said that to someone? 
Have you? I know I've said that. You know, when we say that, actually, we're wrong. We're wrong when we say that to people. Because, you see, the Lord decided that I needed that. The Lord decided, as hard as it is for us to say this, the Lord decided that I needed to go through that hard thing because that is part of his personal training regime for me. Through that hard thing, the Lord is working to improve my spiritual condition. He is working to make me more holy. He is working to produce in me and through me a harvest of righteousness and peace. So dear people, we need to remember this. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, if you are a Christian, you need to remember this. Hard knocks have a purpose. Second of all, we need to know that hard knocks happen within a loving relationship. Hard knocks have a purpose. That's really important to know that. But it's really reassuring to know that they happen within a loving relationship. Verse 10 tells us that the Lord is training us for our good. For our good. But how can I be sure? How can I be sure? It doesn't feel good when I'm going through something painful and hard and difficult. It doesn't feel good at the time. How can I be sure that it is for my good? Well, here's how you can be sure. Our training happens within a loving relationship. One of the ways in which the Bible describes the Christian's relationship with the Lord is in terms of the closest human relationship. The Lord's relationship with his people is described in terms of a father-child relationship. And that father-child relationship, I wonder, did you notice, is emphasized in this passage again and again and again. In verses 5 and 6, the writer quotes from the verses that we read right at the very beginning of our time together this evening. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. Look at verses 5 and 6. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because, listen to this, the Lord disciplines, trains those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Look at how he goes on in verses 7 and 8. Endure hardship as discipline, the Lord is treating you as sons. For what son? is not disciplined by his father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. You see, what the writer is saying is this. Being involved in this loving relationship with the Lord, this relationship that we enjoy through the Lord Jesus, a relationship in which God is our Father and we are his children. 
enjoying this relationship means of necessity experiencing the Lord's discipline and training. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. In fact, the very opposite, it's a sign that he does love us. That doesn't mean that he's a bad father. In fact, the very opposite, it's a sign that he is a good father. As most of you know, before I went to study for the ministry, I worked uh, as an educational psychologist. And some of the children that I worked with were children who were struggling in school. They were displaying really challenging behavior. I remember one day going out to visit the home of a wee P1 boy. This wee boy was, uh, was causing havoc in his classroom and school. His behavior was proving incredibly difficult for his teachers to manage. I sat down in his home to talk to his parents. And as we sat there, the wee boy flew around the room like a mini tornado. One minute he was up in the back of the chair on which I was sitting. The next minute he was down right in my face talking to me as I was trying to talk to his mom and dad. All of this was going on, but his parents didn't blink. They didn't intervene. They didn't try to engage him in something more constructive. And then, after a couple of minutes of being ignored, the wee boy went over to the wall. He started to pick at the the bottom of the wallpaper. Then he grabbed hold of the bottom of a sheet of wallpaper and he pulled a big section of the wallpaper off the wall. His mom and dad didn't blink. As far as I could see, that wee boy was growing up with very little in the way of parental discipline. Wasn't good for him. Wasn't good for anybody around him. A lack of discipline. Dear people, we recognize the importance of parental discipline. And I don't know what your parents were like, are like. I don't know what your father was like or is like. Our parents probably didn't get it right all the time. But we recognize that a loving father will not neglect to train and discipline his children. And if that is so for our human fathers, how much more so for our heavenly father? In verse 9, the writer says this, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more, how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Being a Christian means being in this loving, secure relationship with the God who calls us our father. And in him we have a father who always gets it right. He always gets it right. He never makes any mistakes. He knows you. He knows what is best for you. He knows what you need. And you see, because of all of that, you can trust him. Because of all of that, you can trust him. You can submit to him. You can wait patiently for him to work out his purposes. 
Hard knocks have a purpose. Hard knocks happen within a loving relationship. Finally, hard knocks can be born because of Christ. Hard knocks can be born because of Christ. Back up at the beginning of chapter 12, we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we're reminded of the the pattern that operated in the life of Jesus. The writer says this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the writer saying? Well, the writer is saying this, Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered, and then when all of his sufferings were complete, He was received into the presence of his father. Dear people, if anyone knows about the hard knocks that this life can deal out, it is Jesus. If anyone knows about the hard knocks this life can deal out, it is Jesus. In fact, Jesus faced the hardest knock of them all. Jesus endured something that you and I will thankfully never have to endure. On the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of his own father against sin. Jesus endured a hard knock like no other. He suffered in a way. He suffered to a degree that no one else can or will. And he did all of that so that your sin could be washed away. He did all of that to make it possible for you to know this loving relationship with God that we've been describing. Do you know that relationship? Have you trusted in Jesus? Is God your father? Do you see his purposes in all of your troubles and difficulties? Come and trust in him. Don't be on the outside. Why would you be an orphan? And you can be a child, a a loved, cared for child. A child of the living God. Come and enjoy this incredible relationship. But but how does that help us face our hard knocks? Well, look at what the writer says in verse 3. He says, consider him. Think about Jesus. Look at Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary And lose heart. You know, dear people, we serve a suffering saviour. Is it any surprise that we might have to suffer? But in our trials, we can take heart. Because Jesus has borne the hard knock of our punishment for sin. We know that the strength that he provides will help us to bear all of those lesser hard knocks. Because of what he has done for us, we know that our story will have a happy ending. Just as tonight he is in the presence of our Father in glory, so too one day we will. So too one day we will. Because of him, 
we have a glorious future to look forward to. Many of you will know the name of Tim Keller. Keller was an American Presbyterian minister. He has authored many books. For over 30 years, he exercised an extraordinary ministry in Manhattan and New York City, and really to the world. Keller passed away on the 19th of May, just past. He had been suffering from pancreatic cancer. Not long before he died, he wrote an article for a newspaper, an article which is really all about the Christian's experience of suffering. Towards the end of that article, he says this. Most particularly for me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love, death, and resurrection has become something that I believe, not just something that I believe and file away, but a hope, a hope that sustains me every day. I pray this prayer daily. Occasionally, it electrifies but ultimately, it always calms. As I lie down in sleep, and as I rise this morning only by your grace, keep me in joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens, I will someday know my final rising because Jesus Christ lay down in death for me and rose for my justification. Do you have that assurance that the story of your life will end well because of all that Jesus has done? That there's meaning and purpose in all of your pains and troubles. Dear people, trust in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Invite Jesus to come and to bring you into the presence of the Father. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, there is so much that we do not know, so much that we cannot understand about how things turn out and about the difficulties and the pains and the troubles that, that come our way. But Lord, there are some things we do know. We do know that you love us. We do know that you have good plans and purposes for us. We do know that you are working to make us more like Jesus. We do know that all who trust in him will one day stand in glory. Father, help us to focus on what we do know. Help us to draw strength from what we do know. And may that help us as we face what we don't. In the name of our loving Saviour Jesus, we pray. Amen.